Department. What up? It's the Gumbo Pot Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Nigel Henderson. And I'm Omar Alcivar. And we'll be interviewing musicians, chefs, and creatives about the creative process and everything that goes into it. Like what made that singer write that special song? Or why a chef loves to cook a particular dish? Or what was the inspirational spark that set these people on a creative path to success? These questions and more will be answered on the Gumbo Pod Podcast. Tune in. All right, welcome to the Gumbo Pot Podcast. I'm your host, Nigel Henderson, a.k.a. Nigel with the Knife, with my co-host. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Omar. Welcome back. We got another one. Another one for you guys. So you glad you could come with us. This is episode six of the Gumbo Pot Podcast. Our special guest today is Brandon Broussard. A.k.a. your baby boy, your pride and joy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Brandon. Thank it you. Might very be the much. old Ernest speaking. Uncle Ernest. <laughs> Uncle, Uncle Uncle Nearest. Uncle Nearest. Uncle Nearest. Shouts out to See? Uncle Nearest. That's, That's how good it is. Uh, That's how good it is. We've had two drinks and we already forgot how to, <laughs> yeah, how to how say, how say it. Right. And everything She's like hundred proof, straight to the brain. Black owned, hundred proof is really good. Uh, hopefully, they'll give us some free bottles. Well, please. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yes, as you know, we are the Gumbo Pot Podcast. I've said that probably three times now. Um, we have you in the studio today because we want to know about your crea- creative process, um, your past, yep. um, the path that you've created for yourself, um, and, you know, some of your humble beginnings. So we started off, you know, let us know the lay of the land. Tell us about Brandy Broussard. Okay. I, I don't want to bore the shit out of y'all. Can we curse? Yeah, yeah. Do whatever the fuck you want. Okay. <laughs> so um, It's about you today, brother. All right. I am originally from Houston, Texas. Okay. Uh, born and raised down there. My family is all Creole from Louisiana. So, okay. so grew up on gumbo and etouffee and whatnot. Okay. Uh, okay. But did not like growing up in the South, so I wanted to get the hell out of there. So I went to Howard University in D.C. HBCU. Which was the school the furthest away that actually accepted me. So went there mm-hmm. and uh, did five years. Came back, worked for my family in Houston. W- what did you study at Howard? I studied political science okay. and French. I also threw parties. I yeah. studied thro- party throwing. Side note. <laughs> That's how I met Brandon. He was uh, throwing parties in Atlanta because his sister went to Spelman. Yeah. And he was like the, the, the cool older dude that knew everyone, even though he didn't go to school in Atlanta. And <laughs> the cool older uh, dude. dude. <laughs> Everybody else is like, All right. well, I mean, he's, he's not old. Man. I was like 20. <laughs> no, no, he, he's older than us. We're freshmen in college. And Brandon's coming down to, to Atlanta and everybody fucking knows him. It's like, how the hell is he popular in a different state? So you would fly out, like, you'd fly out from D.C. to yeah. Atlanta? Like how, yeah. okay, how many times you say like in a school year? A couple times, like three to four times a year, nice. just on GP. We were, when I threw parties, I did do, I did do well. It was like after, so Howard University has a history of party throwers, right? Mm-hmm. So there was, Puff was really huge in the 80s. And then after him, there was Mark Barnes. Then there was a dude, and Mark Barnes' like reign is still going on. But then there was another dude named Selmo. But then I happened to come in right when Southern music was popping. Mm-hmm. And when I got to D.C., I came from the South where we danced. Like, and mm-hmm. so we sweated our shirts out and our hair out. And we were super, like, I was practicing rolling in the mirror. And <laughs> right? Wait, what was it? The uh, can opener? Can uh, opener did it take? Is that? Is that I, I, remember, I remember some of the we used to H-Town folks. drop it to the, the floor. That, too. I don't know the names of the songs. <laughs> I mean... Or the dance. The Jubilee Hall or the dance. But you came, you came in like cardio ready. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And what happened was like No Limit popped at the same time that I decided to start throwing parties. And I used to fly my DJs up from Texas to DJ and stuff. And so uh, 
we used to throw these Southern players balls and they just cracked because people were actually dancing and you had Master P and No Limit. Okay. And then right after that, you had Cash Money, who we actually, we actually got Cash Money at a party at the Bravo Bravo in DC for homecoming for two bottles of Hennessy and a free VIP booth. And it was Lil Wayne, uh, BG, uh, Birdman was there, and a couple of other Slim was there, who nobody ever sees. Uh-huh. Nobody ever sees Slim. We saw Slim. But it was at Howard, so... And- it was at Howard. It was during homecoming, mm-hmm. so it cracked. But uh, anyway, so I did that. I threw parties in addition to majoring in political science. Came back home after college, worked for my family in Houston. Mm-hmm. For a couple months, and then they fired me. They had a huge board meeting and fired me from the family company. Wait, wait, how large is the family company? At the time, we had like four medicine clinics, four medical okay. clinics across the country, or maybe five. So can you tell us why you got fired? Uh, they fired me for conspiring to start my own company and like stealing company secrets. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, so that's... that's <laughs> It was real. Hey. That's and funny. I was. I was. But the thing is, I made the company secrets. Like, I had created the paperwork. I was basically just like, this is some bullshit. Y'all pay me $10 an hour. I'm going to go start my own clinic. Because mm. we were making like a million dollars per clinic. Okay. It's good that I didn't, though, because everybody got arrested. So it's very good that they fired me. So, ladies off and gentlemen. Off of some inside information <laughs> from a disgruntled employee who will remain... <laughs> Nameless. Oh my God. All I know is I was out. I was in grad school. But no, that that was a pivotal time in my life because up until that point, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Coming from Texas, you're not really exposed to the entertainment industry. And as much as I love throwing parties, I never thought of it as a career for myself. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that at the same time that I was in Houston, I was helping out with something called the Cabo Beach Party. Okay. They used to have these videos that were like Girls Gone Wild tapes. And uh, I helped them edit one. I would leave work early at the physical medicine clinic and go edit till like two in the morning. Okay. And did, then, you, did you have a background in editing or anything like not that? Not at all. Okay. I just felt like a rhythm for it. Like I would just go there and sit with them, and I just felt like I knew where the cuts were and where the music should play. Okay. And just where <laughs> the like, jokes where were. Where the cuts? Uh, where there's nipples? <laughs> uh, no, don't know. cut. This don't cut. No. <laughs> we. Um, <laughs> My girlfriend's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know about this tape. This is when he was what young. Don't worry tape? about it. This yes. is back in the day. Long time ago. But um, so I was having this conversation with my mom after they fired me. And to her credit, she was not at the meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, but afterwards, she was like, we really need to you know, figure out what you want to do. Like, what do you love? And I told her about editing. Then it was like, well, maybe you like film or producing commercials. Because I always, I thought that I wanted to, anyway, I figured that that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any background in it. And so it was like, what if I went back to Howard and went to film school and I could kind of figure it out while in grad school? Okay. And they they have a grad program. They have a grad program in film. And so sure enough, I applied, I got in, and it it was so right. I mean, like the first semester, I took a screenwriting course and I wrote my first script and I wrote it like, I mean, I would write 30 pages in a night. Like I just like... okay. It was immediately like a lightning bolt struck me like, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. Okay. It's like you've been waiting for this moment to figure out like this is it. This okay. is it. And so um, I was in grad school for like another semester when I decided to shoot my own film. Or I had started thinking about shooting my own film. And there's a professor there named Haile Grima who had made uh, Sankofa and Bush Baby and a couple of other like super indie films. And he knew Spike and he knew a couple other major indie filmmakers and I was telling him that I was a badass, basically. And he was like, Nick, if you're a badass, then why are you still in school? Like, 
filmmakers make films. They don't like come and Go study them. Yeah. Right, yeah. And so I took my loan money that semester, <laughs> and instead of paying tuition, I went and made this film. With also, I gotta give credit to my mom. She definitely helped me down. She put the rest of the money in for the film. And oh, we wow. made the okay. Epicureans. Okay. So mm -hmm. That was the first screenplay that I wrote. That I was writing like 30 pages a night and stuff. And we did see that on IMDb too. I, I the Epicureans. Yeah, it's on there. Yeah. It's on your page. We were doing our history. I mean, we know you a little bit. I'll take it. But hey, I'll take you know, it. We have famous friends. We might have Googled. We might have Googled you. You know? Shouts to our research department. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're out there. Uncle, Uncle, uh, Uncle Nearest. nearest. <laughs> <laughs> we keep having to reference it. Yo, That's I was about to just hit him with the Uncle Ernest, but Uncle, no, Ernest. Uncle Nearest. Ernest is the research department. Yeah, right, 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 right. That's going to be the rye. Yeah, Uncle, Uncle Ernest <laughs> gave us these, these tidbits of information about you. <laughs> All right, so you, you did your screenplay. So did the screenplay, made Epicureans. Around, in, somewhere in between that time, I'd also worked on a movie called that was supposed to be called Beauty Shop with Vivica Fox and a couple other people that Mark Brown, who had written uh, Barbershop okay. and wrote Two Can Play That Game, he had made in Baltimore. And so between me making the Epicureans and then being a PA on this movie Beauty Shop in Baltimore... I thought I had relationships, and I thought when I came to L.A. with my film that there was going to be a check waiting for me, mm -hmm. and that, like, Mark was going to hire me to produce this film. <laughs> and uh, what year was this? This was uh, 2003. 2003, okay. And, yeah, I was just like, yeah, of course you go from a production assistant to producer. That's the way that it works. So, no, no, I came out to L.A., and I slept on couches, and there was mm -hmm. no check. And I called my mom up, and I asked her for some money, and she was like, I can get you a plane ticket home. Mm. And then I emailed everybody that I knew for a job. And I got a PA job from the sound guy that did Epicureans. Okay. He was a sound guy on Fear Factor. Gotcha. All right. And so I went and did like two weeks of PA in on Fear Factor. And then I had another homegirl I grew up with in Houston named Tiffany Anderson that was a writer on The Eve Show. Okay. And so she hooked me up with an interview. I went and interviewed and got the office PA position on the Eve show. Gotcha. And so that was my first like TV gig. Warner Brothers actually got insurance. <laughs> nice. And so so what was the time period between you getting getting to LA, right. sleeping on couches, and then, okay, damn, I got to pay at least a paycheck so I could pay it my was, bills. It was six months. Six I was months, definitely okay. living off That's my good. boys. Like I was bullshitting. Six months is good. Is it? To move to L.A.? And I mean, in the grand scheme of things, yeah, there's people who, I mean, will struggle for fucking years. Oh, no. I mean, it was about to be you hit it big. Yeah, but, yeah. No, like, no, no, no. I knew people that made the six-month period and they're out of here. Well, that's what it was going to be. Mm -hmm. My mom was just like, you're either coming home or you're going to figure it out. Okay. And so luckily, you know, I figured it out. But I knew I was supposed to be out here, so it was just like, I was just like, I got I to gotta get money somehow. And I saw people getting checks. Yeah, so. no. So, so she, your mom's like, I got a check for you to go home. Right. And this is that moment where it's like, okay. Shit or get off the pot. So, yes. like, okay, so you're working on Fear Factor. Yeah. But you're not writing on Fear Factor, right? No, so there's like, no writing. So, right, exactly. So, I mean, so did you just continue writing, like, screenplays and uh, or Back spec then, scripts? Honestly, like, I considered myself, like, a director and an editor and a writer because I had done everything on the Epicureans. And so it was somebody, I heard some wise man talking, and he was like, you need to choose something. Don't be a jack of all trades and a master of none, right? And it was just like, you can choose writing and focus on that and, like, be a great writer, and then you can branch out from there. Mm -hmm. And so it was at that moment that I was like, okay, I'm going to, like, use my movie magic at the time and then eventually final draft and just focus on scripts. And, and you then, had, I mean, like you said, 
you took you wrote a script yeah. in the 30 pages so you had a, a background in that that was kind of something that was right I knew how to do it mm -hmm. and honestly when I first moved out here like the film was still the game mm -hmm. like people were still shooting on 35 which cost $700 a reel mm -hmm. for 11 minutes of tape and I mean not 11 minutes of tape but 11 minutes of film that you yeah. still have to get processed and mm -hmm. colored and like it's still like only 11 minutes <laughs> like we already shot like forty five minutes. Like and you know, so if just, we make any mess ups or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> we just wasted. No, it's, shit it was so money. expensive to make a film. So it's just like I'm gonna write. Then the other thing that really happened that was instrumental or like another pivotal moment was the music people mm -hmm. at the Eve show. They were all from Philly, all a bunch of Philly dudes. Okay, and so they were music supervisors by day on the TV show, but they had built like studios for themselves up in our offices. And they were producing music and producing artists. Okay. And they would stay up in there until 6 in the morning or just really not go home. They would okay. just sleep there and stuff. And so I was seeing what they were doing and having success doing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm going to take their work ethic because I'm not working hard enough. And so when I get off of work at night as a PA, I'm actually going to stay here and mm -hmm. go find a computer and put final draft on it. And I'm just going to write scripts until they leave. So mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to outwork them. I'm mm -hmm. going to outwork the music mm -hmm. dudes or whatever. And so then I wrote a spec script for Bernie Mac for the Bernie Mac show back then. Mm -hmm. And they had a program that was called the Cosby program or the Guy Hanks Miller program or whatever. It was a fellowship at USC. And they had like they you could uh they had 10 fellowships that they would give out. And luckily my head writer on the Eve show had actually been through that program. So I got her to give me a letter of recommendation. I submitted that Bernie Mac script and I got into the Cosby program. Okay. Why don't you um, do me a favor, break down like, just a real kind of short mm -hmm. uh, explanation of what a spec script is for the people that don't really know. And you know what the funny thing is? I don't think people even write spec scripts anymore. Right, they don't do it anymore, right. but like... But back in the day, <laughs> to prove that you could have the voice of a show and not just your own voice, you needed to have two scripts. You might have a script that is your own like pilot that's just like your heartbeat. Like this is what I would this say if Brandon Broussard was just writing the right. show. Okay. But then you also go and write an episode of Girls mm -hmm. to prove, like, you, Brandon Broussard, this super dude from, like, Howard University or whatever, like, can actually write a woman's voice okay. and, like, can really capture each of these voices of these characters. Or you wrote Sex and the City or you wrote The Bernie Mac Show, you know, which mm -hmm. I did. But you wrote a really popular show that was really, like, common. Right. So that executives, when they read you, they go, oh... He can write the Will and Grace voice. That means he could probably write any voice because his voice isn't anything like that. It's gotcha, like proving gotcha. you can play with their toy. Exactly. Be like, you you own all this, and this right. is the, the resume you've established. Steroids. Yeah. I could take the characters and you've established Coke. and not make them go off the rails. You exactly. That reference, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. Exactly. At the end of it, Jack will still be gay. <laughs> 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 yes. I'm not going to flip him on. Yeah, he's not going to change. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So at this point, where, where, where are we at? What are we doing? Cosby program. Mm -hmm. Came out of the Cosby program. Uh, had another season of Eve. And then Eve went off the air. And then we were trying to figure out, like, what was next. And I heard from a friend, because it's all about networking out here, that Tyler Perry was actually looking for writers. Okay. No, no. For folks that don't know, okay, the Eve show goes off. This is your first real job, yeah. real job right? Where, where are you at? Mind you, I was making, like, no money. I was living yeah, exactly. in Koreatown. Yeah, exactly. My exactly. rent was $625 a month. I was making $550 a week, or maybe $600 a week. And to really survive, you were juicing up your mileage sheet. Okay. Right? So, like, a trip to Subway really was, like, a 60-mile trip. 
Uh, oh, shit. I mean, maybe not 60 You might miles. be giving away too much juice. Is that, are they still is that, doing that now? Definitely. <laughs> but the cool thing is if you had a cool production coordinator or whatever, they, like, they knew that you were getting underpaid. So they, and so it was like, don't be outrageous. But like, got you. we all have an understanding here that your mileage sheet probably needs to make you an extra $100, $150 so a week. And we can squeeze that out. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. Okay. And so what was the time period between that show ending and then you getting this next job? Because again, like you said, you're not making any money. Right. You're, you're still cutting your teeth. Yeah. And this is your first job out. Now you're looking at a job number two and you're like, okay, there's, there's, what am I going to do? Or did it hit you like, okay, I got another job down the pipeline. I'm good. No, you got to hunt to eat out here, right? So there was no other job. But I was a hustler. Like, I actually had teamed up with a publicist mm -hmm. that used to... This is ignorant. But she used to send, like, Oakleys and Jordans to set. Mm -hmm. But the thing was, she did not uh, need them back. The companies that gave her those, yeah. Air once, Jordan and Oakleys, so. expected the stuff to be never returned, right? But the studios didn't know that. So they returned everything. And so I was the middleman. <laughs> and I would go put all that stuff on eBay, and then we would split it 50 50. Time, time out, time out, time out. Time out. <laughs> so like, yo, did you get so, those Jordan? Have back? you noticed the trend so yeah. far? <laughs> Red is dealing some black, back, hey. back street, shady market, black, <laughs> black market deals across the board. <laughs> He's got the, yo, you the, had to hustle. I ain't mad at none of the hustles, because guess what? Hey, we could talk about hustles all day, but. You, you know, you need that, especially, I mean, definitely it's, it's an entrepreneurial spirit, but also it's still, I mean, you're still an entrepreneur, no matter what, definitely. as a writer, you're still an entrepreneur as you know, even yeah. in these jobs that you're doing, you're an entrepreneur of your own enterprise oh and your enterprise is you to this day. So, so the, but, I mean, you're hustling the suit. I wish I had rich parents. You and I both. I wish Shit. that was the case. Like, I wish you, I just... Right? What would that be like? Right. Shit, I'd do whatever the hell Those I want. Those kids that work at WME only making $400 a I fucking remember. week. I I worked there. Right? <laughs> like, but those other kids are coming in and fly-ass Giorgio Armani suits. Driving BMWs. <laughs> Driving BMWs. Right out of college. I remember. And you're supposed to compete with them. I remember that. I remember How? all of them. I, right. I was like, damn, I'm broke. Yeah. Uh, but I got game. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that was the game. So, so we're hustling shoes and whatnot. How, what, give me, is it six months? Is it a year before you're on your next, on the Eve show? Um, so after the Eve show. Or after, excuse me, after the Eve show. I kind of like, I liked taking the summers off because it allowed me time to write. And I was obviously like hustling. Uh, now they were making watches. Oakley was making watches that made good money <laughs> on eBay. So, so you were on the corner. Hey, tennis. No, no corners. I was all on the internet, man. I was. He had, a, he had like an online PayPal, store. eBay. <laughs> it was good. I mean, I have a really high score on eBay, a really high credit, whatever it is. It's like your, your selling store. Yeah. You're like, yo, this Yo, I'm, like, I'm 100. percent I'm 100. percent Like it all says sample on the inside. Like of I'm like a super so seller or something. <laughs> but, but um, so I heard that they were looking that Tyler Perry was actually looking for writers specifically from the Cosby program. Little did I know he was looking for cheap labor. I just was like, oh, he's looking hey. for writers. This is dope. I submitted a script at that time coming out of the Cosby program. I'd written an Entourage spec. Mm -hmm. So this is around the time that Entourage was super hot. Okay. And. Uh, Damn, did it, did it go like this? Uh, they're all excited because they're going to make a movie. <laughs> and then they're upset because they're not going to make a movie. You know, true but story. But then at the end, they're <laughs> they going to make, make the, the movie. True story. <laughs> they ended up using my entourage spec 
I mean, a similar story for like Ray Donovan for the pilot. I was so upset because then I couldn't <laughs> use the spec anymore. But basically, like I had Vinny and the crew hanging out at the standard celebrating and he sleeps with like a waitress there. And then he goes upstairs and he wakes up in the morning and she's dead in his bed. That is the Ray Donovan. It pilot. is the Ray Donovan. <laughs> I was so mad. Like, what? And you get no credit for that? Bruh. You know, it just, just a, it's an idea, idea that was out just, there. It's a similar idea, right? I think it's just a zeitgeist thing. I think maybe the I, that I'm gonna write it off to just being a zeitgeist thing. It's, an, definitely it's an idea it. out in the space. It is in the interwebs. It is, and yeah. it kind of hit somebody else that was a writer on that show, and it just boom. I mean, because I did use that to enter a lot of like writing contests hey. and shit. And okay. So, but all that said, it's all good. So I ended up submitting my script to Tyler and them, and his head writer Kelly Griffin was like, um, "I love you. Like, I want to hire you as a writer." Ruben Cannon, however, who notoriously did not hire Oprah on The Color Purple, mm -hmm. casting director, famous casting director out here. Um, I like, I'm in good company because I'm with Oprah. He was like, no, he sucks. So <laughs> don't hire him. <laughs> but Kelly was like, well, your resume says that you were a script coordinator, which again, I hadn't really said this, but you fudge your resume out here a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Like whatever your last job was, you say you had the one job that was better than that. Just one level up, right? Listen, ladies and gentlemen, he's giving you game. So, right. So you're a PA? No, you're a writer's PA on your okay. resume. Okay. You're a writer's PA? No, you're a writer's assistant, right? Like you're the writer's assistant? No, you're script coordinator and so on and so forth. And so on my, on my resume, even though I had never been a writer's assistant, it said that I had been one or a script coordinator. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, I can't get you hired as a staff writer, but I can get you hired as our script coordinator okay. if you're down to travel to Atlanta with me. And that's when I left L.A. for like two years okay. to go work for Tyler Perry on House of Pain. So how was that process? Was it, was it like boot camp? Was it, you know, were you, were you on the couches of friends again or like? No, what? no, no. I was getting good checks. I yeah, mean, you're a script supervisor. Like, script well, supervisor well, we actually get like cheap labor yeah. too. So this is, this is what I would have You know what sure. was so messed up though, bro? Like, honestly, I was making more than the writers. Good. Okay. He was paying me thirteen hundred a week and Somebody's only paying the writers like a thousand. I'm like a, totally giving away the truth. You gonna have somebody on, on the internet hitting like Tyler didn't pay me what I was supposed <laughs> to pay. Well, they end, it's all known because the WGA ended up suing him. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh. and making his show okay. Guild and stuff, and okay, it was a huge thing. But um, yeah, so I worked for him as a writer's assistant for hundred episodes of How Does a House of Pain, a script coordinator. It's uh, and during that time, L'Oreal actually, my little sister, mm -hmm. moved down from New York, and she's a fashion designer, wardrobe stylist, was working on the show with me. We were living together, and Barack Obama. So this is two thousand six, mm -hmm. two thousand seven. Yep. He had just given the speech. Uh, he had already given the speech at the Democratic convention, but now he was considering running for president. Mm -hmm. And she and I had that, or I had the idea for Barack to vote. For I had seen a woman at a rally of his holding up a sign that said, you know, Barack the vote on it. Mm -hmm. Just like had written out the words. And I was like, oh, that's dope. Wouldn't that be dope if somebody went and like did a t-shirt that was like graffiti on the side of a Rock the Vote poster mm -hmm. that just said B-A with a dash or whatever. And her genius, she was like, yeah, that would be dope. I'm going to do it. And then so she goes to her computer and comes back with this design. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. And she's like, are we going to do this or what? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> and I was scared. And just to tell you financially where we were, because we weren't balling yet, I had like $700. And you just finished the show. You're done. I was still working on House of Pain at this time. Oh, you're time. still working at the show. But I will say, like, along with this, it, stop me if I'm getting confusing. I'm working as a writer's assistant on his show. She's working as a wardrobe stylist on the show. 
We're living at a house in Atlanta together. It's the summer of 2007. Okay. Barack is out. We come up with Barack the Boat. She does the design. We see Tyler's work ethic. So at the time, he's writing uh, Why Did I Get Married? Mm -hmm. He's shooting House of Pain and directing it at the same time. So, so he's, like, yeah, if this can man it, can do, and can do writing it. more scripts. Yeah, that exactly. dude is a monster. Yeah, so it was he ridiculous. can do this, these no matter two what, things, like, that dude is a beast. We, uh, as the a two tandem. of us can make a t-shirt exactly. with one design on it, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. And so we go and we make the Barack the Vote t-shirt. We make 100 shirts from an old friend that made t-shirts for me in high school. Um, we get 100 shirts made. Bro, we sell them out the trunk in like less than a week mm -hmm. back in Atlanta. I remember that movement. Yeah. And so even still, though, from like September to December, we end up doing like $6,000 in business. L'Oreal is such a gangster, though. Like we were trying to create this website. This is like when e-commerce was first kind of popping. Like Amazon wasn't really a thing back then. And we had the ugliest, shittiest website. And like it was literally the models were me and her. Uh -huh. It was like pictures in our living room, like selfies with a real camera, though. <laughs> uh -huh. Like, right? And so we put that up, and I was like, it's not ready yet. But I woke up one morning, and she had sent it out to all of her friends. <laughs> and I was like, why would you do that? And she's like, look, look at the back end. And I'm like, oh, shit, $1,000 in sales. <laughs> Overnight. Right? Yeah. Overnight. Yeah. She didn't, she didn't sleep on it. No. She's like, she pushes forward. And so still, though, so we had done six, $7,000 in sales from September to December. So... New Year's Eve comes, and me and L'Oreal are actually in line at a party in Houston for New Year's Eve, and we're such political junkies. I'm literally on my phone refreshing to see the Des Moines, Iowa Register poll come out mm -hmm. with Barack's mm -hmm. numbers to see what he's going to okay. have. Because also, I know it's going to affect our business in an insane yeah. way, right? Yeah. So he comes out in the polls, and he's like three points ahead of Hillary. I literally cheer in line. Like, everybody else, like, waiting for the ball to drop and shit. I'm like, yes! They're like, you're early, nigga. It's like 10 minutes till New Year's, right? And so she and I have this really difficult decision when we get back to Atlanta, and it's like, yo, it's about to be insane if he wins Iowa, mm -hmm. but we only have, like, 50 T-shirts. Uh, what do re we do? Reinvest. What do we, well, we didn't have any money. Oh, it's gone. And so okay, I was like, let's open up the site and just see what happens. We, that month, did $30,000 in sales Shit. and just emailed everybody and said, I'm sorry, your shirt will be too soon. <laughs> <laughs> we have so, zero so, infrastructure. So, so, yeah. Now, part of that also was you guys were donating to the campaign as well. We gave away 25%, I think, to the campaign. 25%. Yeah. And then you also were very integral in boots on the ground movements. Oh, absolutely. Our goal when we first started was just to make voting like popular. We were like, all these campaign shirts look whack. Like, mm -hmm. what if we made a T-shirt that was so dope that people would actually wear it to the club mm -hmm. and would wear it to class, and it became, like, a trend? And so even if we only sold 1,000 shirts, like, 10,000 people would have seen that message. Mm -hmm. And Barack the Vote would have become a slogan that people just ended their emails with and just said to people and stuff, and it just became, like, this viral thing. And, and then you also had that network of historically black colleges— you worked in L.A. Well, she the worked other in piece, fashion. The party promoting came in. Party promoting. So okay. the way that we did the game was we both threw parties in college. And so we went back to our old party promoter competitors and friends and bought their lists. And so in every major city in the country, like we knew promoters in New York and D.C. and Miami and Carolina and Atlanta and L.A. And we were just running their lists from them and sending our flyers out connected to our website. Okay. And so we were sending, again, with, like, trendsetters and stuff, 
we were emailing all the people that went to clubs and were kicking it that were in their 18 year, you know, they were 18, 19, 25, whatever. Yeah, and looking I mean, to the, vote the, and make the change. Reach, the yeah. reach was insane. Uh, yeah. that's, that's a great fucking plan. And so it was expensive, but like that's what we did. Anyway, we um we ended up we did help Barack get elected. We did over a million dollars in sales in 10 months. Okay. What? That's a lot. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was <laughs> Uncle Nearest. Because honestly, Uncle Nearest got me. We were making more money than our parents ever made, like in a year, mm-hmm. in a month. Okay. Like towards the end in like August and September, we were having like one seventy five, two hundred and fifty thousand dollar months, and like Jesus. legit, like our parents had never made that much money, uh-huh. like in their lives in a year. Just it was insane. Like, and we were kids. I mean, I was thirty two, L'Oreal was twenty seven, mm-hmm. and then we were on the cover of Black Enterprise. I remember that. Like, it was it was a ride. The best thing for us was that we actually got to take our parents to DC for the inauguration. Nice. And uh, yeah, got to take him to balls. My dad was sitting behind J Lo. <laughs> I was standing behind J Lo in line for some chicken wings. Okay, okay, <laughs> something like that. Little known fact: uh, Democratic inauguration balls are cheap AF. They're really, really just money grabs. Huh. Yeah, they want you to come and spend a bunch of money for a ball, and then you go in there, and it's like a big barren like room with some chicken wings and some wings, wow. maybe. <laughs> Probably not. Probably simpler times. You just busted their bubble now. Did you go to any Republican? I'm just keeping it real. I didn't, but I bet you they I turn up. I bet you they turn up. They probably have bowls of Coke. <laughs> I have <on>. Budweiser. <laughs> you know how they roll. <laughs> they just... got like tax exempt forms on the way out. Lord is mercy. <laughs> You're good. We got you. <laughs> you can write this party off. This uh, is a donation. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So. You coming to the end of Barack the vote, obviously he he wins. Yes. So that's the biggest that's of the the end of the victory. That's like the greatest victory. Not only did you you donate it to the cause, you made change. And we're in Grant Park for the victory speech. Me yeah. and L'Oreal are that's out dope. there in Chicago watching the results roll in in the hotel room. And it was I can't remember what state it was. Maybe it was Carolina where we kind of like knew. Because mm-hmm. honestly, we were so nervous. That, like, I didn't want to go to the park until I felt like he had clinched. And so for L'Oreal and I, we really kind of celebrated in the hotel room. And the park was kind of the after party. Mm-hmm. But we did go see him, like, speak in the park in Grant Park. It was, uh, man, no regrets, bro. Like, it was life-changing. And so at that point, um, you're, still, you're still working. For Tyler Perry as a writer on House of Pain. But you're financially comfortable. Yes, and got a little bit of swagger behind you now. A lot You're of like, swagger. Okay. How, how many uh, how many shirts did Tyler buy? Tyler, <laughs> Tyler sent our shirts to Oprah for us. He hey, bought hey, like ten shirts hey. and sweatshirts, and he, he called her up and was like, "This is coming to you." She never featured them on the show or anything like that, but he he looked out in that way. He looked out in that way. I learned. I mean, while we're on the subject of Tyler, I will say this about him. I learned a lot about business from him and a lot about uh, like his work ethic mm-hmm. was just like it, I was I was just speaking at this panel the other day for Howard students and I was telling them like, you know, they asked, what would you tell your 18 year old self? And it was that your talent isn't what's going to carry you through the day. It's going to be your work ethic, right? True. True it's going to be that you're going to outwork everybody. And even though I learned that from my family and I come from the South, from these hardworking people, but seeing, like, seeing Tyler do, have like, success mm-hmm. because he was just like, I'm going to do. I want to make a talk show construction. Go build a sound stage for me yeah. for a talk show. And I'm going to sell it. It's not sold yet. I'm just going to figure it out. And then, like, next thing you know, he's got a talk show and it's on air and he made more money than he did, you know, 
okay. uh, putting into it or whatever. And so, and so you you, <clears throat> you picked up these lessons from yes. Tyler. Yes. Um, obviously, you have this great situation with Barack the vote. Barack the vote is now over. Yeah. Barack is president. Yes. So that's, that's a great thing. Yes. Um, what was the transition that brought you back to L.A.? Two things happened. So I was already back in L.A. because our, um, our distribution center for the okay. T-shirts was actually out here. And then we were manufacturing our T-shirts out here as well. And our writer's room for Tyler Perry was actually out here. Mm -hmm. So as a writer's assistant, I had to stay in Atlanta, in Atlanta. But as a writer, I actually got to live in L.A. again. Okay. But the other thing that happened was that, uh, man, truth be told, we were trying, we were trying to unionize. Okay. On the show, we were trying to make it guild. Uh, because of the fees that I was saying people were getting paid. And I don't know the backstory. I don't know if anybody found out. I don't know if he got wind of it, but all of a sudden I got a call. I was on, uh, I was celebrating my parents' reunion in February of 2009. And I know that because we were all in the Dominican Republic celebrating their, uh, not reunion, their um, anniversary. anniversary. And I got a call from one of the executives at Tyler's studio saying, can you come back tomorrow? Um, we And then... I got another frantic phone call from my boss at the time, and she's saying, don't take a call from the studio. <laughs> they fired all of us. Oh, wow. Okay. And I'm, like, sitting in the Dominican in my parents' hotel room, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so I got an executive on this phone, and she's calling me on the other phone, and I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on? And they wanted me to come back and work on Meet the Browns. Mm -hmm. And then I read the first page of Meet the Browns, and Mr. Brown said uh, to Cora... Turkey bacon. Cora, I didn't know pigs and turkeys be mating. And then I made my decision to not go back. Right. Ah. <laughs> That's a rough one. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like I said, I got love for the business, but I'd always dreamed of being a writer and being in the Writers Guild and stuff like that. And so I did side with the Writers Guild. And uh, I also had an opportunity to work with Brian Barber. Mm. who was somebody that I hugely respected as a director of videos. He did the Outcast, yep. the uh, Hey Ya video. He had done the Roses video. And he was doing like a new sitcom and wanted me to be the head writer. And I took a chance. I was like, followed my heart. I worked for him as a head writer. I thought that show was going to get picked up. We wrote 12 episodes of it. It didn't go anywhere. Mm. But luckily, I still had a little bit of change. And Dave Chappelle had just gone off the air. And with the, the Chappelle show, and I was like, oh, there's a void for sketch comedy. And Chappelle's show was my everything. And it was my friend's everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, that was the zeitgeist. Like, everybody knew Chappelle's show. We're like, from the Lil John impressions to the Prince. What? Hit, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Skins yeah. versus I mean, right Browsers. Right out the gate, he hit uh, everybody with that Clayton Bixby. Yes, like, yes. It was insane. Yes. Like, and then when he just went off, it was like, there's a void. And we decided to create Purple Stuff TV, which at first was like an SNL news update desk. But the name Purple Stuff even comes from Chappelle's stand-up. Mm -hmm. It comes from when he's talking about all the kids going in the commercial, the going sunny to the Sunny Delight, right? Going to the <laughs> yeah. Sunny D and the little black kids in the back, like, I want that Purple oh. Stuff. And we were like, well, we want to be that. We want to be that thing in the back, right? And so we made Purple Stuff. And Purple Stuff started with, like, two Canon mini-DV cameras from Circuit City, which doesn't even exist anymore, uh -huh. to, like, a fully, by the third season, fully invested company with a writer's room of 10 people and 27 people shooting our shows. And uh, 
We had the astrologists, and we had millions of views. We had worked with Global Grind. With you hired me to cater to the astrologists. Yo, yo. <laughs> the yes. throwback for you, I catered the astrologists yes. episode. Yes. So we, um, I mean, we were doing it. We had money, and man, that was like, that was my girlfriend at the time. I had a girlfriend, but that was like my true love. And we made two half-hour pilots shot in front of a live studio audience. And I will mm -hmm. tell you a funny story. It's actually funny, like sad. You could cry from the story. But my uh, casting director, Amber Bickham, at the time, casted comedians. Mm -hmm. And we were looking for a host of our show. And so she was telling me some different people. I was like, I don't like him. I don't like him. And I was going to all these different comedy clubs to find somebody. And she was like, you guys have a budget. You have like five Gs. Like, I could get you Kevin Hart. And I was like, nah, he's whack. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. He's whack. I don't want him. <laughs> and now you're like, he was still going by like Lil Kev or yes. whatever. I, not even. Like, it honestly was probably right. <laughs> but this before. is early. This is super, super, super early. He had had the sitcom on network already, but he hadn't had that pop from, uh, how, what was the one with the Steve Harvey joint? Thing, you got me. With the Steve Harvey movie that did like 110 million, the romantic comedy. Oh, uh, think, uh, like a man. think like think a man. Think like a man. Uh -huh. So think like a man for me was when Kevin like popped because mm -hmm. he stole the movie and made it make 100 nah, million dollars. Was it paid in full too? It was one of those. It was post Soul Plane uh -huh. before Think Like a Man. He was in a 40 year old version too. Yep. Yeah. Was he? Yeah, he comes in and like. Talk shit to yes the the, the guy uh, at the the fake Circuit City yeah oh, you know they're working him. at that and he yeah. goes, he's like hopefully y'all can get it yeah. like, <laughs> murder murder kill yeah. kill <laughs> yeah that was him <laughs> but yes I played I played myself royally and luckily well I mean that's in the future but so purple stuff we had our two pilots and we tried to sell it around town and literally could not get a meeting I couldn't even get inside the BET offices. Like, I literally, they're like, we'll take a phone call with you. And um, that was, like, beyond heartbreaking. And so... And again, that's before, that's really before, you know, the YouTubes and the webisodes had really taken off, That right? was, we were at the same time that Issa was doing Awkward Black Girl, at the same time that Lena had done Shit Black Girls Say or Shit Black Girls Do or whatever, okay. that, like, Shit Girls Do or whatever, those videos were super viral mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, we were all doing it at the same time. Okay. Um, we had millions of views. They had millions of views. Like we just thought purple stuff was gonna pop. We thought it was special, and when it didn't, it was it was uh, it was difficult, and we just couldn't keep going because financially it didn't make sense. Right? Yeah, and I was like running the writers' room, directing the episodes, and editing the episodes, and it was just like unsustainable. I made a cameo in the video that you made. Which one? Uh, the one that was like, blame it on the. The purple stuff. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> was that was a, the first time we really understand the power of having something quality. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was a mock of the Jamie Foxx Because Nigel was on it. No. They're like, no, oh, no. We, can finally, <laughs> we can finally afford yes. celebrity <laughs> chef Nigel Henderson. <laughs> no. <laughs> that wasn't the case. For purple But it was stuff. a spoof on uh, the Jamie Foxx song, Blame It on the Alcohol. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was Blame It on the Purple Stuff. You had Lance Gross. Yes, he was in it. <laughs> he was in it. Yeah. Who else? It was a bunch of people that... Or like and probably popped since then. Yeah. yeah, like there's there's a bunch of people that popped from that. From yeah, that. yeah. And so gotta find it. I mean, Matt, oh, no, this, look, this out just there. to talk oh, about purple stuff wonderful. and to give it like is somebody due. send the link. Like uh, Matt Cherry, who is now the executive producer of Black Klansman and was yep. an, is the executive 
I think one of the head executives for Jordan Peele's company mm -hmm. has two films that went to South by Southwest, was a camera dude, um, like for Purple Stuff, um, whatchamacallit, Justin Pope, who's still yeah. like the homie, like has produced commercials for Deutsch and a whole bunch of other Super Bowl commercials and everything. He used to work camera for us on Purple Stuff. Like so many of the folks, I can't even think of everything that everybody else is doing or whatever, but this like a ton of people that works on Purple Stuff with me are like killing it. Killing game. it, yeah. Yeah. And so, okay, purple stuff doesn't happen. So what's the next move for you? Man, reality television. Like, mm -hmm. I was fucking depressed. That was, like, literally, like, again, one of those moments where it's like, am I going to have to go back home to Texas? Okay. Yeah. Like, I can't so afford... So after Barack the Vote yeah. did so well... Well, that's Barack. a lot. I did Millionaire Matchmaker. But I was... <laughs> I was Wait. Uh, out. When you say you did Millionaire that Matchmaker, that please mind. tell me what that you did one, for Millionaire Matchmaker. So, Broke Brandon was in a room with his writers on Purple Stuff, and we were sitting there like, I was like, man, I got the craziest phone call yesterday. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, man, this girl called me up and asked me if I wanted to be on Millionaire Matchmaker. And I'm like, oh my God, you're like going to be one of the dudes like that's there for like the girl to pick? I was like, no, this was so crazy. She thinks I'm a millionaire. Oh, wait a minute. You wouldn't like, you didn't go work for it. Like you were on the show. He I was the millionaire. Bro, I was the millionaire. Oh, oh that changes it completely, bro. He's a millionaire, dog. That's, that's even better than what I could ever expect. I was so literally getting unemployment checks. Target Marona suit. Bro. L'Oreal <laughs> like, was my stylist. She and I would go to Nordstrom's and buy clothes and return them the next day. Again, okay, hustle too. mentality. Hustle, hustle, hustle. And we were doing Yo Town at the time. Oh, so after Barack the Vote, we did try to do another t-shirt company, which is really where my money went. Like, we dropped, I'm not going to tell you how much money, but into this t-shirt company, basically all my money and lost mm. it. Okay. And so... So that's where you're like, I'm, uh, I'm going to go back to Texas. Yes. That's what was like, <laughs> oh, this is a fail. Well, the recession also hit. Yes. So it was like 2008, we were trying to start a new company and just lost our shirts, literally and figuratively. Uh, during the recession because nobody... People were afraid they were going to lose their jobs. Mm -hmm. People were afraid to buy people anything. Did even they had, people that. did lose their people jobs. Were, people were, like, jumping off buildings. Yo, it was yep. a like, beast. It was crazy. People forget about that. Like, fuck a hurricane. Like, that Isn't recession... That the same time? We were around that recession in California with the, the, the strike as well. Yes, Kinda yes. The WGA well. strike happened. Yeah. It was just, There was a lot of stuff going on that made it pretty difficult. So I turned into reality television, though. Okay. After my stint on Millionaire Matchmaker... I got a job working. So, so wait, 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 wait. We can't, like, let's not just glance wait. over the you fact can't, that you're you can't on get away from. Like, this. wait a minute. Like, so, okay. So, did you did you actually film an episode? I did. That's so funny. You had to put up with that lady. She's uh, she loved me. Quite really? She she so said many, some really dirty things to me. I can imagine. How many dates did you did you have? What, what was the scenario? You were you were the millionaire. Yes. They, they set you up with these different <laughs> ladies to date. My girl's over there like... She's like, yes. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Time out again. Time out again. So you had a girl. Millionaire situation. You go on Millionaire Matchmaker. I didn't have a girl anymore. My girl had dumped me. So this was, for me, almost a little bit of revenge. I was I was a young idiot. And so I was just like, oh, you're going to dump me? Well, I'm going on Millionaire oh, yeah. Matchmaker. Because guess what? I'm a millionaire. I'm a millionaire. You think she turned on the TV and was like, What? <laughs> <laughs> this was forever like a hundred air. So, so you <laughs> now it's like all of a sudden he's on 
It's like he it's can't even buy me right. Jack in the Box. <laughs> and he's a millionaire. He won't even give me one of his two tacos. That's amazing. So, all yeah. right. So you do <laughs> millionaire matchmaker. All right. We might have to have a whole show about you doing millionaire matchmaker. The recap. We got to watch it with him like a, a commentary. <laughs> oh, shit, yes. I would love that. Uh, that oh, so my God. Millionaire matchmaker. Again, if you see, we, we have a trend here. You know, you still got the hustler mentality. Oh, always so trying hustling. to make it work. Always hustling. It's either that, either hustle or go or home. Go home. Mm-hmm. These are the stakes. Mm-hmm. Okay, they were real stakes. So after Millionaire Matchmaker, yes. After we've 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 invested in Yotown, yes. Where are we at? We are the hustle mentality. I uh, tell a friend that I need a job. She's worked on a reality show, and I've fudged my resume to say that I've produced reality before because I do know how to edit it. I mm-hmm. edited my own film and stuff. Um, and so I, and the thing is, I didn't want to go back to scripted. It wasn't even that I didn't want to go back to get a scripted job. It was that having written for Tyler Perry, you really couldn't get a writing job. People mm. didn't consider that writing on a TV show per se. Okay. Like Will and Grace didn't want to hire me as a sitcom writer or whatever other show was popping then. Like I wasn't about to get a job on there. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. It was Wait, tough. Because like a, like a. Tyler they considered, like, yeah, a stigma. They considered his shows less than. So like Tyler Perry was like the reason Tyler Perry's like, right. Like people look at a Medea movie and be like, "That's whack," but it's making a ton of dough. There's an obviously an art, uh, but it was it was like that. that works for Tyler, and Tyler is a brand, but you don't oh, affect that brand. You're gotcha. interchangeable. You don't uh, make okay. that. Whereas, like, if you're a writer on Roseanne, it's like, oh, you must have been a dope writer. We'll hire you over here on gotcha. whatever new show. My name is Earl or whatever was popping mm-hmm. in, right? So <clears throat> I got it. I knew I had heard about reality and that people were really making money. And that you could make $2,000, $2,500 a week. You know, you could work your way up to that. And so I started all over again. I worked in reality and I worked on a show called Hair Battle Spectacular. Mm. My first job. Uh, Hair Battles. Hair Battle Spectacular. Spectacular. That's right. That's right. Real world meets. Baby hairs. <laughs> was yes. there ever a baby hair challenge? It might have been. Who does the best? They were like toothbrush. Yo, bruh, it was so real. What's the guy's name that was the host? Derek or something like Derek J. I don't know. It was interesting though. He dressed like one of the women on the Golden Girls. Oh, please Feels say it's Estelle Getty. The oldest one? <laughs> Yo, Blanche. Blanche? Yeah. Oh, the slut? Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Blanche got it in. Go yeah. back and watch The Golden Girl. Yo, Blanche, Blanche, Blanche is it yeah. just a, a fox. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah. Sweet guy, though. Really sweet guy. So but, how, um, how, what was your headspace during that period? Is it survive? Again, hustle, survive. I got work. It um, was just like, find the next gig. It okay. was like, keep work. So my new mode was work on a reality show for three months, stack paper, take off for as long as I could to write a new spec script, and then get another job and do it all over again. Okay. And so I was doing that and doing that and doing that. In between that time of multiple reality shows over the, like, the next two years, I had written a script for Terrence J, mm-hmm. who was a host on 106 in Park, then ended up hosting E. That feature ended up not going anywhere. But it worked out because, like, two years later, he did get a deal with Queen Latifah's company, Flavor Unit. They decided to manage him. Okay. And he called me up out of the blue one day and was like, bro, do you have any scripts on your computer? 
because I got this new deal and they have paper and they're financing things and I think we could get something made. And so I send them a script that I had written in one of those off periods called The Promoters. That was about like back when I was at Howard's own parties. Mm -hmm. And he loved it and they loved it. So they optioned it from me. And at the same time, some of my writers from Purple Stuff, Hudson Obayuana and Jana Savage and I had been working on some projects as well. Just, you know, in our free time or whatever, when we could doing scripts and stuff. And so cut to Terrence is assigned or signed on to do a movie called The Jump Off. Mm -hmm. So already, you know, from the name, it was like 2014. It wasn't we know 1994. We know the jump off. Already, already, <laughs> right? The jump off was should have been thrown off something. So they're like, he's like, bruh, like, I need you to rewrite this script for me. And they want you to, they love your voice, but we need it in 10 days. Mm. And I'm like, the hustle is in me, but I'm like, I can't deliver a script that the studio is going to be happy with in 10 days. Personally. Personally. Yeah. But I do have these two other people, and I know how to run a room from Purple Stuff and from working with Brian Barber and having worked on Tyler's show all those years. I can run a TV room. And so I can get the three of us together, and we can knock out a new script for you in 10 days. And so we did that. We wrote a new script. We changed the name to The Perfect Match. We delivered a script like at 1 a.m. on Friday. And Saturday at like 8 a.m., Terrence called me <clears throat> and was like, bruh, y'all killed this. Nice. And so after that, we were like, we need a name. And we were like, oh, shit, we should call ourselves Murder, Inc. And that's when, like, Murder, Inc. was born. Okay. A month and a half later, they were shooting The Perfect Match with Terrence and the rest of the cast. They sold it to Lionsgate, went to theaters, $2 million film, did, like, $10 million. Nice. <clears throat> In between that time, Yanley from Flavor Unit, one of the producers, had asked us if we had a female-driven comedy for teens well, for writers out there, she actually asked me what I had. And having learned a little bit of the game, I was like, it doesn't matter what I have. What do you want? Mm -hmm. right, and so I can, I can make it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, what beat do you need? Yeah. Exactly. I can make it. <laughs> you know, like, what is it? And so she was like, I'd love a female comedy. Like, she's all that with a black female lead. And we're like, boom, we'll do this. And mm -hmm. so me, Hudson, and Jana get to work and we knock out uh, hashtag reality high. Mm hmm. But they get so busy in posts with their other films and with The Perfect Match that they end up saying, like, you guys can go to market. And it was perfect timing because we had a homegirl at Netflix. Okay. And they were doing this incubator period where they were looking for one to three million dollar films. I sent it to her and it checked off all these boxes because they were looking for YA stuff. They were looking for diverse stuff. They were looking for high school comedy. Mm -hmm. It just checked off so many boxes. And they were like, oh, this could be a really great film for us. And I'm like, well, what do we need to do? Because your boss loves it. You love it. She's like, we need to attach a director and a producer. So I hit up Billy Woodruff, who had directed The Perfect Match. And I'm like, man, yeah. would you read the script? Reads it. We meet. He's like, I love it. I'm down. Assigns, assigns himself to it. So I'm like, we got a director. Yo, we're good. And she's like, okay, well, now you need a producer. I'm like, Damn. <laughs> what else do I need? You're like, I am a producer. Right, I'm producing. <laughs> what is it that I'm doing over here? You know? But... Man, like, you know, God's hand just being and stuff. Jana, who is now my writing partner in Murder, Inc., had gone to Boston University. Mm -hmm. That is important because she was in an exchange program in Boston University where you came to L.A. and studied film for a semester. Okay. That teacher, she remained friends with. His name was Larry Weinberg. He teaches a class to this day every Thursday, and he has speakers come to that class. It just so happened that the next Thursday... Well, like that Tuesday, she was having dinner with him to tell him our issue about needing a producer. And that Thursday, he had some producers coming in 
that were looking for a high school film. Oh, okay. That's, so, hey, right. All right. the pieces of that puzzle are coming on. together. Right. It's like divine right. intervention at this yeah. point. So we go to the class, <laughs> and we're sitting in the audience with all the students hearing these people speak, and they start talking about how when they produced Lord of the Rings. Mm. And we're like, <laughs> and you can't see me. I'm turning my chair around. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? So we talk to them after class, and we're just like, I mean, we're just fans. Just like you produce, you know, multi-billion dollar franchise. Mm -hmm. You worked at New Line for 30 years. So we've heard their whole story now. And we're like, would you even be interested in a high school film? Like, do you even make films less than $100 million? Right? right? This one has no hobbits. No. <laughs> Just high schoolers. There will be no Peter Jackson, no New Zealand. So they're like, actually, we just came off of shooting some really dark films. And we've always wanted to shoot a high school summer film in Los Angeles, in California, like that old throwback stuff. So send us the script. Man, they hit us up a day later. All three of them have read it. The two top executives, Marco Desky and Jane Fleming, and their associate producer, uh, Pete. And they say, we love it, we're in. Mm. And so then we pull the whole entourage and we call back Netflix and we're like, is this something you're interested in? And so, you know, like, they literally put us on the books for a meeting. Like a week later, we go in and it's, it's not greenlit, but for the most part, they're like, it's a go. Mm -hmm. And so... We are executive producers on it. We wrote it. We ended up losing Billy. We had to hire a new director the next year, but we shoot it in November of the next year. Our budget goes from $1.3 to $5.7. And then it comes out on Netflix 2000, September 2017 and does crazy numbers for them. Mm -hmm. um, they only tell you, like... Uh, Analogies like you hit it out of the park. They're like, yeah, they, they never give you the full right, right. analytics, yeah. right? Like you, you had a base hit in Mississippi, yeah. you had a double in Switzerland, you hit it out of the park in Cape Town, you had a grand slam. But they yeah. don't give the numbers. They don't give you the numbers. They don't give you the numbers. But we did really well. And in the meantime, we had written another film for Flavor Unit called The Trap with T.I. Mike Epps and Queen Latifah. And we got another deal with Universal Studios called Praise This with Will Packer and okay. some story directing. So shit just really started to pop for Murder, Inc. Like, we were just grinding. And they, Hudson had been bartending, mm -hmm. and Janet had been working in an insurance I company. I remember the, the They bar. both left their jobs, <laughs> and we were just, we've ever since, we've been just doing Murder, Inc. full-time. That's great. That's great. All right, so, <laughs> so Murder, Inc. is on and popping. Yes. That's, that's what yes. you guys got going on. So yes. here's here's how we try to... To bring it to what the Gumbo Pop podcast is also about, which is which is food, right? Yes, and the so, creative process. Yeah, but we we definitely got the creative process down. We see that you're a fucking hustler, like you don't give up. You you're down. You'll lie if you have to. <laughs> <laughs> you'll pretend to be a millionaire if you have to. Like there's no stopping. You'll sell yourself. You'll so, sell. You know, you work on the black market, backstreet deals. Whatever it takes. But, but, but here's the deal. You, you run a bunch of rooms, right? Writer, writer's rooms and such. And yeah. now you run a couple sets or yeah. been at them. So one thing that, that, that anyone who's ever been on a set is, is like they love the craft service table, right? right. Of all things, because you like, you can go there and eat. Is there something that, if, that you always gravitate to, like food-wise? Or is there something you always munch on when you're writing? Is there like a particular food that you feel like drives... Because I'm you, familiar you know with, with some of your talents. You do cook. Oh, I definitely yeah. do have See, some skills. So like, I definitely can. And he definitely can cook some Southern food. Is this oh. from this from a chef to... to, to oh, I appreciate you know. that. Okay. I What's your favorite that. Southern food, like Southern dish to cook? 
I will say I actually make um, the best dish that I make is crawfish etouffee empanadas, mm. which is uh, I can't even really take credit for it. Uh, we have a homegirl from the Dominican uh, named Nelsie back in Houston. And for Christmas, she always makes pastelitos um, with beef. And mm -hmm. we make crawfish etouffee. And one day she tasted my uh, brother-in-law's etouffee and was like, oh, my God, you know, like, we should merge these things. Right. And so we went over to her crib and we made crawfish etouffee empanadas. And the sweet crispiness of the pasolito with the etouffee is... Mm. I did. I did do the chef. The chef kiss. I was like, "Yo, I brought it together." Okay, it'll it'll change your life. That is by far like the number one like crowd pleaser. I mean, I love making gumbo. Mm. I mean, that's just like and and of course that goes back to your familial ties to Houston to New Orleans. Absolutely, that whole like, thing. Our family very much like took pride in gumbo. My father actually thought it was sacrilegious to make gumbo with anything but chicken and sausage. And also that uh, he believed that gumbo could not have tomatoes in it or it was just soup. Yeah, <laughs> hey. You shouldn't add tomatoes to gumbo. Who adds people, tomatoes to gumbo? People do, people do Some all people kinds do corn of... to gumbo, too. That's, yeah, that's no soup. way. That would definitely be sacrilegious. That's a soup. Corn would be sacrilege. I'm down for everybody to make different types of gumbo and stuff, but corn is too far. Corn, corn is, is too far. far. I'm telling you, that's how I feel about taco seasoning. <laughs> we okay. Why, we have why does it exist? We Don't him, use uh, it. I'm, I'm sorry. Episode, I want to bring it up as many times as I have to. Yeah. His his mother. They're they're related. Okay. And uh, he's he's black and Hispanic. Right. And we we told him what taco seasoning is, and he was like, "What the fuck is taco seasoning?" He's like, uh, "No, black families get the Laurie's taco seasoning. Definitely. And that's how they make their enchiladas. Their that tacos. doesn't make any sense, yeah. bro. Like, no, you it doesn't. Can't really wrap up all the flavors of a taco. Into dust. Like, it's, it's, it's impossible, But what about, like, bro? Dominican food with, like, the Saison, the little red packets that yeah. are, like, have MSG or whatever in them? And you, you should ask Nelsie about that. <laughs> She'll be like, nah. I just, I don't know. Like, my girlfriend, tried, my girlfriend tried to, she was like, well, we can probably make, like, a, a taco salad or i was like no it's a taco is a thing like you don't need to <laughs> you don't need to make it into some other shit just make it a salad it's, it's just a, a salad yeah, it's like, a taco. yeah that's salad. Just a salad. and then you can give me a side salad <laughs> like, i've never gotten a taco be like man i wish i could rip this shit to bits and throw it over greens <laughs> like that's not a thing dude so we'll put, like, put corn in the gumbo oh. So well, no well, tomatoes, I, no corn. So no seafood either then in the gumbo. Well, well, I see the thing is I don't I'm not I can't say I'm not my father's son. I just believe <laughs> that's what he tells me. Right. <laughs> I just believe that other things can go in a gumbo. Like now my grandmother put like raw egg and seafood in the gumbo and it was one of the best gumbos I ever had. Like I've it just never had the egg. I've never had the egg. Yo, she's a crack. It's like egg. a gumbo egg drop. <laughs> it was like an egg drop. It was like an egg drop. Now I would avoid the egg. I didn't want to eat that egg, uh, but it did add a And it gave it some volume and yeah. a little bit of body to it. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. It was a funky thing. I can see that. <laughs> now I can attest to his craft services because he has hired me yeah. to do Oh, so only the best. <laughs> only the finest <laughs> craft services. It, it was a, it was an interesting thing because you'd have obviously you're in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And so they'd tell me, it's a Nigel, we want Southern food, but we also want a vegetarian option of said Southern food. You should just give them a bowl of okra and say, <laughs> shut your face. And now some people would be nervous about that. But you know, it, they they it always stayed true to, you know, your roots. If we're doing a production, he's like, I want 
what I'm used to. Even if you're right. gonna give me a vegetarian version of it, and you know, even if it's, it's you know, some people call it red beans and rice, some people yeah. just call it veggie beans. Yeah. Uh, you know, it worked. It worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now, question. You know, we've we've gone through this interview. Um, there's a couple things that have stuck out. Hustle. Mm. Um, if you can't find a way, make a way. And and that's kind of a trend that from a lot of our past guests. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Kind of, um, like everybody that... And, and, and not only have I heard it from all the guests that we talked to, but I've also heard it on any other interviews. It's, 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 I wouldn't say it's a trend as much as it's like the truth. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not always talent that's going to push it. Like, yeah, there's those people that are like special or whatever, or, right. out, you know, and people pick them up out of obscurity. But, like, the majority of people have to outwork mm, the other white. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are white. But. <laughs> <laughs> hey. I mean, unless you're singing, so then somebody can hear it and think, like, oh, I can make millions of dollars off of you. But, like. Right. But the majority of people have to outwork mm-hmm. the rest. Yes, definitely. Because you'll always hear people say there was that point where it was just like, okay, this is not working out. Yeah, and there's there's only a small percentage of people that say I don't care. I'm gonna keep going until it does. Right. The majority of people will just be like, okay, fuck it, and they'll move back to Texas. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people get Texas. lost in the LA sauce, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, what happened to them? Yeah. yeah. They, either they stayed, and God knows where they they are. Or... I mean, it's it's the story. It's, yeah. You know. And we're we're natives, so we uh... we grew up seeing that. Many right. times over, you know, meeting <laughs> transplants, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm out here to be an actress. I'm out here to be a singer, songwriter, blah, director, director, right. uh, dancer, dancer yeah. model." Poet. And then five years later, so what are you doing? Well, yeah, I'm a nurse. Uh, yeah, I mean, those people no make great like shout out to nurses, like two year relationships. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Jesus laughs> they show up and they're all full of like. They're anxious and they want to go everywhere. You can take them places. Like, oh, you never I seen mean, the Getty? I think he's speaking. Oh, yeah. oh, Lord, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you never seen it? Yeah. They go all these spots. They think they're great. You're like, yo, you want to? I could drive by the, the Hollywood letters, but I can't take you up there. You know? Whatever. So, My thinking is is just... No, what you're... No, no, you're keep, finish it. Finish it. What are you saying? Um, I mean, there are two things. Like, if you could do something else, like, don't say out here. Mm-hmm. Like, I've... I don't want to say that I couldn't do anything else, but like it's very few and far in between like things that I could do. Like I've felt for years now that I was born to write and mm. make films. Like it's a very specific thing. I feel like people have like things that they're like, you know, abilities they were given to come down here and do mm. right from God, like whatever your path is. And like, I feel like I'm most aligned with God, like when I'm writing and making films. So now question, and this goes back to, you know, kind of the core things we want to know from this podcast when you guys, when Murder Inc. is in the room mm-hmm. and you guys are working on a project, what is it that gets you into that vibe? What is it that is there? I, I think you touched on it before we started. You said uh, it was gu- uh, gummy bears and oh, Dr. Pepper. Yes. yes. Uh, is it music? <laughs> is it, are you guys like throwing ideas off the wall and kind of bringing it together? Like, what is that process for you guys to create? It, it honestly depends on whether or not, like, it's just for a check or if it's, like, a passion project. Mm-hmm. But for me, like, I get inspiration. Like, I literally will be running and, like, have ideas about something. I have stuff, like, in my dreams. Like, I can't help but, like, keep, like, ruminating and thinking about these things. So you got to smoke a lot of weed sometimes. I don't, you know, the thing is, I'm funny <laughs> that way. I can't smoke or drink and work. 
Interesting. Okay. Like, I'm one of those people, like, one of my writing partners, she likes to drink wine while she writes. I cannot do anything until, like, at the end of the night when I'm completely done with all my work. Interesting. But my 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 uh, vice of choice is actually Diet Dr. Pepper and gummy bears. Uh, <laughs> I used to include Doritos in that mix, but, like, I just, I have ADD, but I don't take Adderall, and so that's my, that's my self-medication. Okay. And when I get enough DP in me, like, the ideas <laughs> get some fun. No, Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper. No, it's not a game, right? The I'm DP? running on 52 cylinders. Yeah. Yeah. One for each flavor. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well played. And so, you know, again, you guys, um, it's either project-driven or you guys are kind of just bouncing off ideas and getting into that mode. Yeah, definitely. Like, and it's a, the beautiful thing is like, we have synergy between us, but the cool thing about having three people in a writer's room is that one, like you can always be voted down. It's always going to be two against one or all three of us are on the same page, but we just have a couple rules in the room. And when it comes to comedy, one of the rules is if it doesn't make us laugh out loud, we don't put it in the script, Mm -hmm. right? None of that shit that like you hear something or you read something and you're like, okay, that works. Or okay, that's cute. Like, no, like, either it made you laugh or it didn't. Mm-hmm. Like, let's not put it in the script if it doesn't make you laugh. And the other thing is just agreement. There are times where somebody pitches something and all three of us are like, yes. Or we're like, yes, whatever. I don't, we don't really say <laughs> yes. It's not the it's okay. No, 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 no judgment. Yes. I mean, honestly, Micah had to tell me to stop saying yes so much, so I can't say I don't say it. <laughs> but... <laughs> it's from writing all the uh, those high school movies. Yeah, like, for real, like, right? Yes, 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 queen. <laughs> so, but no, seriously, oh the uh, there are just moments. I mean, I think you probably have that in anything. I think when you're cooking and you taste something, and you're like, oh shit, mm-hmm. like you just know, right? Yeah. There are moments like that in the writers' room where you write something or a joke is so funny and we all crack up and we're like, oh my god, that's that's murder. Mm-hmm. Or when there's a certain story point that comes up and you're just like, oh. That works so well. Like, that is it. Like, you know. Like, everybody feels it. And there's just an energy that's just like, that's the direction that we're supposed to go. And I'm pretty sure it's it's, uh, checks and balances. There are checks and balances. And also, like, it's market, right? Like, if we sucked at this, we wouldn't be able to do this. Right, Like, it is, part of our talent is our collective taste. Okay. And so we put scripts out there to the world and they buy them or don't, or they hire us and they don't. And so, like, clearly, like, we have something because we keep getting hired to do stuff. Yeah, I mean, exactly. If you guys put, if you guys took a script that even by your own admission was god-awful, right? Right, right, right. And then you and, and, and your partners were able to turn it into something that got. Which we've done. Bought, but, you know what I mean? Yeah, with the Netflix, with, like, Reality yeah. High. Yeah. Like, you don't, you don't just be like, okay, I don't know if these people are going to be able to handle it. Like, no, a perfect you, you match is the tr- jump off. trust these people because yeah. you guys produce. Yeah. Like it, the Trap was a page one rewrite. Page, uh, the Jump Off, which turned into the perfect match, was a page one rewrite, even though we had to write it in 10 days. But yes, like we trust each other and like we trust each other's taste. And there's always this feeling of we, we each have kind of different roles in the room too, right? Like one of the things that I'm really, really good at is like, I just innately like have this kind of feeling for story or when something's off. Mm-hmm. And so my partner's like, trust me. Like, so when I'm just like, ah, I can't move on. Like, this doesn't feel right. Something's wrong. They trust, even if they disagree, they're like, let's figure out what you think is wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, let's get to the bottom of that. Okay. And so it's, you're right. It is trust. Right. And do you, do you feel like, a, um, you know, how actors will say, I do 
one for me, one for them. Meaning yes, like, like absolutely. A, a, a movie that they really are into and yeah. then a movie that the studio wants them to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So do you feel like you write that way too? Like you've got all the ones that like your voice is 100% prominent in or you and your team. Yeah. And then you get the ones that are just like, yo, such and such needs a new one. Like, absolutely. absolutely. Oh, Damon Wayans has another show. Like, yeah, like they're the things that we do for the check. I mean, honestly, Reality High was a check. I mean, yeah. I'm not naturally gonna go write a high school teen comedy with a female lead. Yeah, right. You know, but now you know how. I definitely know how. But the other thing it was is, fun. It, like you said, it's fun and it's an ex- it's a it's a learning experience for you. And no matter also, what, we're gonna make it our own. Too. Exactly. exactly. And you can you're like, okay, I've never done this before. I took my crack at it. I can actually do this. Right. And so now, when approached for that. You have an idea of how it rolls. You have an idea of how to make it yeah. go. And you you have the experience for doing it. Yeah. So, A, they can't typecast you and say, this is all you no, guys can right, do. Right. Right. And you I feel like that. sometimes when you get done with a project that you do for, like, the check. Right. Then you go, like, okay, I know how to make this. Yeah. Now I could do something. Like, uh, That's where we are now. Yeah. It's, like, kind of like how, um, like how Tarantino was, like, yo, I made, like, uh Django, which was like a right. western. Right. Like now I know how to make westerns. Now I want to make more westerns. Right. You know what I mean, which is why he made like the other hey, Glorious Bastards. But yeah. it's kind of like there's no not in Glorious Bastards. But it's kind of like like you said, like yeah, you made it for the check. But now if you wanted to write a high school, you know, yeah. you kind of yeah. know that temperature. Like, yeah, the new John Hughes. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah, man. <laughs> so okay, mention we- me and John Hughes together. That is. There we that go. Let's go. <laughs> Podcast gold. There we go. Ooh, there we go. You from, make, from, make from, a new from, from uh, lips to God's ears. There we make go. a new weird science, man. Hey. <laughs> People yeah, are trying to make it. Sick. We actually with, got offered to do printers. that last year. We had, we had an offer for that last Think year. Think about those, man. See, Not last year, this year. Jesus huh. Christ, time flies. Jesus, I need your autograph before we build uh, an actual we VR. I'm, I'm ready, dude. So, part of the Gumbo Pop podcast, one of the questions we ask all of our guests is to drop pearls of wisdom or little tidbits of knowledge that can help someone that's listening to this that may be interested or just someone that, you know, may need that uplifting voice. Um, we, we, after, you know, throughout this interview, we've seen all of these things that you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've learned about your black market deals. <laughs> <laughs> your, your family's We're black market ties. Out, though, His we? dark web <laughs> dark store. Exactly. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what knowledge, you know, I mean, you've dropped a lot of knowledge and you gave us some tidbits before I even asked this question, but what would you give as your pearl of wisdom to the next person who's aspiring to even get in the business, aspiring to come out of college and go to Los Angeles and bet, bet the farm right on themselves or go back home? You know, it's it's a couple of small things. Like one, like I love my little sister has this tattoo on her wrist that says faith over fear. And that was like a motto that we had when we were doing Barack the Vote because we always had to make so many huge decisions in such a short amount of time doing something we had never done before, right? Mm-hmm. And so we would always turn back to like, yo, faith over fear. Like, or the idea like in the Bible that faith without works is dead. But like definitely it was just like, Leap and you will grow wings. So a lot of times when you're faced with a decision, don't let fear be the deciding factor, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you think it's right and you're supposed to be doing that thing, then you should go after that thing and don't be afraid like God will catch you. 
Don't be afraid to sleep on the couch. Don't be afraid to sleep on the couch, man. Like, take your <laughs> ego mm-hmm. out of stuff. Like, a, lo- a thing that, like, definitely slowed my career down. I had a lot of writers that are huge now and have huge shows on the air that wanted to work with me. And I was like, they're whack. They just want to use my voice. Mm-hmm. Like, my ego was, like, way too big. Mm-hmm. And so get your ego out of the room. And I've had the majority of my success when I put my ego aside and I wrote with two other people. And so I sacrificed having my one name in the headlights, you know, or the, the big lights or whatever, to share it with two other people. But we've had our greatest success um, doing that. Like, I, I heard this quote that was like, I'd rather have 50% of 100 jobs than 100% of one. Mm-hmm. So financially and just creatively, that just makes sense. Um, and then the number one thing is to outwork everyone. Um, that like going back to that thing of what I would have told my 18 year old self is like, oh man, can I quote Drake? Is that really terrible if I quote Drake? You do whatever the hell you want to do, bro. <laughs> bro. He has this line in one of his earlier albums that's just like, somebody told me nobody works as hard as you. I don't know if I believe him, but it's probably true because while my friends are out partying, I'm in the studio making the music they're partying to. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel, I feel that like that's some real shit. Like. A lot of times people see me and they are like, bro, I didn't know you still lived here. (laughs) You don't know how many times I hear that. Like if I go to the parlor, if I go to like one of these parties with the homies that we used to kick it at are, is like people don't think I live here because I'm so like just in the den. That's a good thing. Yeah, just grinding. You're not making money socializing. No, no. Yeah, let the parties go. Or have your fun at the parties, but But just know that they're not going to get you there. There's a line from a, a Royce the Five Nine freestyle that says, "Listen, if I don't have no business there, then I don't have no business there." Yo, that's a dope True line. Indeed. That's my new joint. True indeed. <laughs> yeah. Well, that uh, that brings us to the the conclusion of the Gumbo Pop Podcast. We appreciate you uh, for spending, you know, however long this this interview went. Uh, it was amazing. Um, it went about three quarters of a bottle of Uncle Nearest. <laughs> Damn, we. So we, you can judge it by that we time. Whatever that. measurement of time you so think it'll take <laughs> for a full bottle to go to a third. Well, at the end of this, let's give. We're gonna give each other cheers. Hey, cheers. Eyeballs. Salute. Eyeballs. Eyeballs. Definitely. Eyeballs. Eyeballs. Always juju. look someone in the eyes when you do cheers. You don't want Please. that don't bad juju. Even. Bad sex. You don't want that. Seven years. Seven Thanks years a lot, ago. Brandon. Appreciate it. Amazing. Salute. Cheers. All right, another episode in the books of the Gumbo Pot Podcast. Subscribe, tell a friend, and tune in to our next episode. Check you out later. The Gumbo Pot Podcast is recorded at Gustavo's Golden Glove Gymnasium. Sound engineered by Chris Plata. Executive produced by Nigel Henderson and Omar Alcibar. Subscribe, send a carrier pigeon, text message, smoke signal to your friend, neighbor, cousin, sister, brother. Just make sure you pass on the Gumbo Pot Podcast. One. Brandon on the microphone, 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 microphone.